Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, we're just for the next couple of weeks, uh, over January, going to be just doing a series that's just called New. And essentially, it's uh, different preachers are going to speak on uh, some passages and some things that they want to speak into that topic. But the, the Bible talks a lot about new things, new creation, new beginnings, you know, new, new starts. And so we're going to talk into this whole idea as we start a new year with new possibilities, new opportunities, and new challenges, we're going to talk about newness. And now one of the things that I want to speak on this morning is a passage from Mark chapter 2, where Jesus talks about new wineskins. Now you might think, what on earth is that? We're going to get to that in a moment. But before we get there, let me just encourage you, this morning on your way out, you can pick up on the welcome desk, uh, one of these Gateway Bible reading plans for Term 1 in 2020. You can also jump online, gatewaybaptist.com.au, and under the next steps part of our website, you can find the electronic version of this. And this is just an encouragement in the discipline of Scripture reading in your own personal space. And so we've developed a plan that just gives you a chapter a day right through January to the end of April uh, where you can just read the story of Jesus, you can read the story of Scripture. And so we're kicking off in the Gospel of Matthew, moving into Daniel, which we're going to preach through in February. And so I encourage you to get online with that. You know, one of the great disciplines of reading the Scripture for yourself is allowing God to just speak to us out of His Word. And the Bible's not always an easy book to read. Let's not pretend ourselves. It was a book that was written thousands of years ago. And sometimes we all read stuff and we just go, what was that all about? That's okay. God has this incredible way sometimes of just bringing new life to us and new words to us as we read His Word. And so I encourage you to jump online and do that and get part of that. One of the things I think you'll find as you start to learn to read God's Word for yourself is that sometimes reading Scripture in chunks can be a really helpful and valuable thing. We often go looking for the verse, don't we? We go looking for the verse that speaks into our circumstance. But often as we read a chunk of Scripture, we get a greater idea of the context of what the passage is actually saying. And I want to show us that this morning as I jump into this idea of new wineskins by going to Mark chapter 2. Let me just give you a snapshot of Mark chapter 2 in its entirety. And Mark is known as, well, we often talk about Mark, and there's, there's four people, if you're unfamiliar with the scripture, there's four accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four people that write about the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, what Jesus did, and the significance of that. And they all come from slightly different angles. They're all written in slightly different ways, but there's a real harmony and unity about the story that they write. And Mark, many people say, is like, Mark's just the highlight guy. He's just like, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus went there. And he doesn't seem to go into great depth but it's just kind of snapshots all over the place. And Mark chapter 2 is like that. He kind of jumps from this thing to the next thing to the next thing. But what we see when we read it in its entirety is there's a real symmetry that flows through all of these stories. Mark chapter 2 starts off with a story about Jesus as he was teaching in a house. And it says the house was really overcrowded and some guys had heard that Jesus had been healing people. So they bring a friend of theirs who's paralyzed to the house, but they can't get him into the presence of Jesus. So they 
they put a hole in the roof of the house and they lower him in to the presence of Jesus. And Jesus there looks at the guy and says to him, wow, your faith is incredible. Your sins have been forgiven. Now he didn't come to have his sins forgiven. He didn't think. He came to see if Jesus could do something about the fact that he couldn't walk. But Jesus says, hey, your faith, your sins have been forgiven. And then he goes on and he heals the guy, tells him to pick up his mat and he walks out. But, but I just want us to look at one verse in the midst of that because while all of this is going on, there's a group of people observing what Jesus does. And they say this. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there. What are the teachers of the law? They're religious guys. Just leave it there for this morning. Some religious people were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In other words, Jesus is doing this incredible thing, making these incredible announcements about forgiveness of sin and then does an incredible healing. And there's a group of religious people sitting on the sidelines observing it all and in their heart saying, who does he think that is? Mark moves on to his next story. It's a story about a guy named Levi. He's also called Matthew. He wrote the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus comes to Levi and says, Levi, I want you to come and follow me. Become one of my disciples. It was not unfamiliar for somebody to invite people to come and, and sit under them, train under them, be their disciple. And so Jesus comes to Levi and says, come, be my disciple. The astounding thing, though, is Levi is a tax collector. And again, contextually, a tax collector wasn't someone that was liked or loved. He was actually somebody that was quite despised within the community. And so Levi gets so excited about the invitation of Jesus, he decides to throw a party at his house that night. But Levi, because no one else likes him, only has friends of heaps of other people that are tax collectors and what the Bible just labels as sinners, a broad category, I know. But a whole bunch of other people that are despised, outcast, rejected and hated. And they're all Levi's mates. So Levi says, Oh, Jesus has asked me to follow him. Why don't we all have a party at my house? And so Jesus goes to Levi's house for a party and listen to the verse. Verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So story two. Levi has a party, Jesus is at the party, and on the sideline there's a whole bunch of religious folk looking in saying, why is he hanging out with them? Okay, point one, why is he proclaiming forgiveness of sins and healing people? Point two, why is he partying with the sinners? Story three, it says that there's a whole bunch of disciples of John, John the Baptist, that are observing Jesus' disciples now and realising that they're not actually doing all the things that they do. They're not living up to all of the traditional expectations, things like fasting. So it says this, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, but some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? In other words, scene three, Jesus and his mates aren't doing the things that everybody else was doing as expected in religious tradition. And what does Mark tell us? That on the sideline was a group of religious people looking in saying, how come they're not doing it the way they should be doing it? Are you getting the picture? Story number four, right at the end of Mark chapter, these are all within one chapter of scripture. Story number four, right at the end of Mark chapter two, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath day. 
And it says that as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And guess what happens? On the sideline, the Pharisees, again religious leaders, said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You see, when you read Mark chapter 2 in its entirety, what do you see? Jesus is doing a whole bunch of stuff that the religious folk of the day didn't comprehend, didn't understand, and didn't agree with. So in each of these four stories, Jesus is doing something and the religious folk are questioning it or criticising it. Every one of the stories, it highlights to us the question of the religious people to Jesus and his practices. Four instances where Jesus made the religious leaders of the day at a minimum confused, but at probably in a more uh, significant way, angry and upset. And so with that context, we get the context, Jesus doing his thing, the religious people not liking the fact that Jesus is doing his thing the way he's doing it. So in the middle of this context, Jesus tells a story. He says this, Mark 2, chapter 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Now, I'm, I'm no good at sewing, and I'm no good at patching things, but it makes sense, doesn't it? Especially in a day where you know, new cloth was actually hadn't, it, it hadn't shrunk yet. And so you put a new piece of cloth on an old piece of cloth, and when you wash it and the new bit shrinks, it makes the tear worse. Jesus just uses a really simple illustration. But then he goes on to say this, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Now, this might not be something we're that familiar with. Let me explain the process of winemaking and Jesus' contextual understanding of how people made wine in his day. You see, they didn't have a can or a, not that anyone's had wine out of a can, but they didn't have bottles where they could put the wine for it to mature. In Jesus' day, wine was stored in animal skins or wine skins. So the skins of animals that were sewn together, pieced together into some kind of device to carry liquid. It was cleaned, it was sanitised, and when the wine was put together, it was put in these skins where it was allowed to do its fermenting. The thing that actually turns it from grape juice into wine. But you see, in the process of wine fermenting, gases are created and and expansion occurs. And so the animal skins that were created to hold the wine, because they were new and because they hadn't been used for anything else, had the capacity to expand as the wine fermented. So people would pour their wine in the fermenting process into these animal skins for them to continue to mature and for the fermentation to happen. People knew that you didn't take new wine and put it in an old wineskin. Why? Because old wineskins had already gone through the process of allowing fermentation to occur. But because they were animal skins and we're in you know, the Middle East and back in the first century, they'd become old and brittle and they'd been, had the sun shining on them. And so they didn't have the flexibility to allow for new wine to ferment in the same way that the old wine that was stored in them that had gone through that process was no longer expanding and bursting at the seams. And so Jesus just grabs a very understandable but simple illustration. He says this, if you're going to make wine, get a new wineskin. 
Because when you pour new wine into a new wineskin, the new wineskin will expand with it. The package will expand with what's contained inside of it. If you take new wine, you put it in an old wineskin, guess what's going to happen? The whole thing's going to blow up and everything's going to get ruined. Really simple story that Jesus tells. The whole thing's going to blow up and everything's going to get ruined. What's Jesus trying to say? In the context of four instances where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the religious heavyweights looking on from the sideline, he says, you know what? You keep wanting to question the methodology. You keep wanting to question what's happening. You keep wanting to question the package. But Jesus says, here I am doing something brand new. And this is the revolutionary message of Jesus, that in the person of Jesus, God himself revealed himself to us in the flesh and showed us what God is like. And some of the old institutions and structures, but more than that, some of the way that people took those and turned them into traditions and practices that weren't ever the original intent of what God had begun, didn't fit the new thing that Jesus was doing. So Jesus says, if you try and take what I'm doing it and fit it into your old methods, your old thinking, your old practices, the old shapes, the old boxes that you have created, guess what? Put the new wine in the old wineskin and there's going to be something blow up. It's a really revolutionary real story that Jesus tells. He's actually quite pointed in speaking to the religious folk about the way they're trying to fit him back into the box. I wonder if there's some relevance in this message for us today as we start a new year. Because I wonder for a bunch of us, if we're still trying to fit Jesus back into the box that's become comfortable and familiar for us. Let me talk about three boxes I reckon we can try and fit Jesus and what he's doing in. The first is the box of context. Let me explain this one a little bit. See, all of us that have had an experience of God, have experienced him within a particular context. You see, I've grown up discovering God within a Western world, Western thinking, middle class mindset. I've experienced God and the church and my faith within a country that allows freedom of religion and freedom of worship. Never once have I been scared about coming to church. Back in 2011, I had the opportunity to go and visit India as part of a young adults team here. And while we were there, I was given the chance to go and uh, preach in a church. I wasn't expecting it at the time, but it's just the thing when they find out you're a pastor, you're given the opportunity to preach. Now, if I'm given a last minute opportunity to preach here, I don't love the last minute nature of it, but I can probably come up with something to say to you guys and find some stories that are going to connect. But when I'm thrust into an Indian church, suddenly what I realise is there's some stuff here that's essential in our faith that we all believe, but man, my stories don't carry the same relevance. You see, 24 hours before I stepped into this church to preach, I'd sat with a family the same size as mine at the time that lived in a house no bigger than this stage. Their whole experience of the world was living in an overcrowded slum with no good sanitation, no running water, and five people living in a house the size of this stage. What was I going to get to share with them as I stood on their stage and wanted to tell them about God? What was I going to share them that that was relevant to their life about the goodness of God? What examples could I use from my life and story that pointed them to who God was or who God was like? You see, that experience of being thrust out of my context really helped shape my understanding of the essence of who God is and what the gospel message is really about. 
Because the message of, of blessing and joy looks very different when you preach it in an Indian context than when you preach it in the Australian context. Maybe it's not until you step into a different context that you actually discover the true meaning of joy and blessing. And I did in that trip. You see, sometimes getting outside of our context is critical in helping ourselves build a perspective of God that's not twisted by the circumstances that surround us. You see, it's really easy in a middle-class Western environment to start talking about blessing as though it's a material blessing. And when we pray, we pray that God would bless us in material ways. When we talk about God's favour as being shown in the fact that everything's okay in life and nothing goes wrong, or that joy comes from things working out the way we want them to work out, well, what does joy, blessing and favour look like to a family living in a slum who, when they think on Jesus, smile and show a joy that is deeper than you see in the faces of most people in the Western world that have everything. You see, sometimes we let God be shaped by our context. And I think God wants to break out of that. And some, for some of us this year, help us rediscover the true essence of who he actually is. That's not shaped by our circumstances, or it's not shaped by everything going the way that we think it should go, or it's not shaped by God answering all the prayers that we think God should answer, but it's actually discovering a joy, a peace, a hope, a love and a grace that sits with us and follows us no matter where life goes. And so the challenge for some of us this year is this. Maybe you need to break out of your context so you get a bigger picture of who God is. Maybe this is the year that you need to actually save up some money and go on a short-term mission team to go and see another part of the world. Maybe this is the year that you need to give up some time to serve the poor and the needy in our own community so God breaks out of the box of context that you've placed him in and you see him for who he truly is. And you experience his joy, his love, his peace, his grace, and his compassion in whole new ways. See, I reckon the second box that we, we uh, throw God in is the box of experience. And let me speak for just a moment to some of us that maybe it's the start of the new year and your new year's resolution is being part of a faith community or checking out a church or you know, getting your, your religious life back on track and so you're here today with us and you're actually not really sure what you think about it but I have numerous conversations with people about the fact that I'm a pastor and that I uh, work for a church I can't escape that because anywhere I go I get asked you know have I got family and then what do I do and so instantly the faith conversation is thrown on the table and I'm amazed at how many people have an experience of God that's limited to something that happened 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago when they encountered a person of faith that shaped their perspective and understanding of God. And most people that haven't stepped foot in a church for 20 or 30 years talk about church that doesn't look anything like the church that I've known and experienced here. You see, some of us have had experiences that have shaped how we understand God. And maybe you're someone that you just need to actually expand your understanding of who God is by allowing him to give you some brand new experiences of what he does and what he's like. Maybe the thing you need to commit to do is being present and regular in a faith community. So maybe your experience of God looks different from the one that you had 20 or 30 years ago. You see, some of us have had experiences of God that were shaped through school or through a religious instructor or through a church experience when we were young. And that experience has shaped our understanding of who God is. You know, some of us have actually got really, really messed up pictures of what God is like because people that claim to be followers of him gave us really messed up pictures 
of who God is and who God is like and what God does. What if the picture that was painted for you wasn't a good one? What if you allowed your experience with God to be shaped by someone else's bad interpretation of him? See, this is just isn't our experience of God. For some of us here that have put our faith in Jesus, maybe we had a bad experience of serving. Or maybe we had a bad experience of being part of a small group Christian community. Or maybe we had a bad experience of being part of a community and pouring our life and investing in it. I encourage you that maybe this year the new thing that God wants to do is to break apart that box of experience and say, I want you to experience me in whole new ways. But for us to do that, you're going to have to take some steps of faith into some new areas or back into some old areas again that you've given up on. See, some of us have had our experience of God shaped by our experience, by the things that have happened, by the circumstances of our life. And God wants to expand that for us this year finally let me talk about the third box which is probably the one that Jesus really spoke into in the passage and it's the box of tradition it's the box of tradition I want to say something that that all of us have to get a hold of here tradition is something that for us breeds comfort we become familiar with something and it puts us at ease we talk about church in, in the way we shape our church services that we want them to be consistent without being predictable. In other words, there's something that puts you at ease when you walk in here and you get used to what happens. And I regularly talk to people that haven't been in church for a long time and the whole experience is disorientating because they're not used to the way we do things. Well, well, even for those of us that have been in the church a long time, any time we experience change, sometimes it can actually set off the alarm bells in us that actually isn't about our faith, but it is actually about our tradition because tradition is the place that breeds greatest comfort. I came to faith in Jesus as a five-year-old. Like I grew up in the church and to give my age away now, I'm now in my 40s just. But I came to faith in a church when I was a young child. Like I, From day one that I was able, my parents had me in a church and our church looked different to the church that we're in today. It was this old A-frame building in uh, one of the main streets of Dubbo in New South Wales and when you walked in the door at the time there was this big old wooden pulpit that didn't really get used but in, in years past someone would actually step up into this massive kind of pulpit that I don't know what it looked like but it was part and present on the stage. There was no drum kit on the stage back then. There were actually boards that hung on the side wall that when you walked in, just had numbers in them. And uh, you'd walk in and you'd see the numbers and someone would give you a book at the door or it would be sitting in the back of your pew and the numbers were actually the songs that you were going to sing that day. They actually referenced the song in the book. It was called the hymnal. And you would open up to song 323 and, you know, it was May the Fountain of God's Blessing Pour Upon Thy... And everyone would stand and the person on the piano would start playing and we would all sing from the hymnal together, all 17 verses of the song. And then when song 327 was finished, we turned to song 46 because that was the next number. Who went to a church like that at some point in their life? Others of you are going, what on earth is he talking about? That's all right. That's the point. There was no technology. If you wanted to know what was on in church, you had to turn up to church and pick up the photocopied news sheet that someone had typed out on a typewriter. 
There was no way of finding out midweek what songs you were singing if you're in the band that week because there was no email, there were no SMSs. Someone had to ring you on a big rotary phone and say, hey, just want to let you know, we've changed the practice time. Can you ring them and I'll ring them and get them to ring? That was the only way that communication could happen. My point is the world looked very different and I'm only talking about 35 years ago. But that was the world that I knew when I came to faith. You know, parents used to send their kids on youth camps and not sit beside the phone waiting for an update. I don't know what parents did. I think being an only child, my parents dumped me at youth camp and thought, we've got a free week, let's go. But they weren't waiting on Facebook or by their phone, just checking that their little cherubs are okay because, you know, they're four hours in and we haven't heard from them. Like the world was different when I came to faith in Jesus. But it looks very different now. The reality is all of us get very comfortable in that which we know. And this was the main issue that Jesus confronted, tradition. You see, there's nothing wrong with embracing that which is comfortable and familiar. There's nothing wrong with that context as I understood it, unless it becomes something more than that. You know, tradition or methodology or, or the spaces that we've been, our, our, safe, our safe faith places are great. We've all come. Our, our former senior pastor, Tim Hannah, used to talk about all of us in church having faith formation songs. They're the songs that were sung when our faith really came to life and they're the songs that we still remember. And, and all of us have got those, but they're all good and there's nothing wrong with them except when something changes and we decry the change because it's not the way it used to be. Now, all of us, when things change, become uncomfortable because the world looks different. But, but for the religious leaders that were looking on at Jesus, the things that they were criticising were the fact that they, they somehow missed the fact that God was healing people because he wasn't doing it the way that they thought he should do it. They, they somehow missed the freedom and the peace that people were experiencing in the ministry of Jesus because he wasn't operating within the bounds of what they knew to be comfortable or what they knew to be right. See, there's nothing wrong with embracing the joy of what is comfortable and familiar unless it becomes something more than that. Unless it becomes the essence. If the packaging becomes the thing that matters more than the message contained in it, we're starting to lose our way. I just want to speak to us really clearly on this and I'm going to ask for your grace this morning. And uh, I'm very happy to process this with anyone that would like to after the service. Because I want to speak to some of us that have been here for a long time, including myself. If we're going to reach more people with the gospel message of Jesus, we're going to have to innovate some new methods to do it. It's still wine. It's still in wineskins. It's just new wine. See, what Jesus really says in using the wine and the wineskins illustration is this. The essence doesn't change. And our message doesn't change. The truth and the power of the gospel, of God's love, forgiveness, of the fact that he came to earth and died on the cross and was raised again on the third day, that message doesn't change. The truth of that message and the essence of that message never will change, but the packaging in how it's delivered might. So for those of us that here are here today and are old in our faith, let me say a few things. Let's be people who choose to cheer on the younger generation as they contextualise the message of Jesus to reach the next generation like them. We are unashamedly, if you're looking for a church and you want to know one of the things we care about, we are unashamedly going to champion the next generation in this church 
to find new ways of sharing the timeless message of Jesus so that their generation may come to faith in him. It's going to mean that some of us are going to have to let go of some of the things that are comfortable for us. It's going to mean new means, new sounds, new liturgies, so that those that are currently unreached are reached. I uh, didn't think I was getting old until a few weeks ago. I was in my car talking to my eldest son, who is nearly 17 now, about one of my favourite Powderfinger songs. And he looked at me and said, who is Powderfinger? And I just went stunned in silence for a moment. Half the congregation this morning is going, well, who is Powderfinger? And then anyone that's grown up in the Brisbane through the 90s and the early 2000s go, how do you not know who Powderfinger is? Powderfinger is a local Brisbane band that probably made it to the top spot of Aussie rock for about a decade through the mid-90s to the mid-2000s. And I sat in my car thinking, I cannot believe that my son doesn't know who Powderfinger is. I mean, I've tried to indoctrinate my kids to good music for many years. U2 has been pumping through my stereo endlessly for a decade, as all of my children. It was like any chance I got to get the Wiggle CD out, I got the U2 CD in. If the U2 CD wasn't in, the Midnight Oil one was. If Midnight Oil wasn't in, you know, REM or Ice House or uh, Delirious, uh, one of the original Christian worship bands, found its way into my CD player. I tried to silently indoctrinate my kids to good music, but they're not interested. And so now I have to sit in my car and allow them to take control of my stereo and play what I can only describe as rubbish. (laughs) I can't understand it. It doesn't make sense. It's got no rhythm and it's all done on computers. And that is the end of my sermon. (laughs) And I don't like it. But I'll get over it and I'll let them take control of the stereo so they can listen to some songs that connect with them. Because music is one of those things that's the voice of a generation. And if I'm really honest, I look back to 30 years ago when my dad, who is here today, and you can ask him, my early memories of dad were sitting in front of a stereo that was way bigger than most people had at that time, air conducting to orchestras. He just did it Saturday afternoons. We'd all get shut out and dad, well, I can't even see him. Just he conducted his own thing. And so dad probably thought that his son, if he indoctrinated him enough, was going to grow a love for Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and Schubert. Schubert, Schubert. Yeah, you know what I mean. But I didn't. I started buying John Farnham, Whispering Jack and Ice House Man of Colours and Noise works, and all the young guys are going, who are, you, who, who are you talking about? But 30 years ago, I know that Dad had to put up with the fact that there was a new sound coming out of my stereo, like today. I've got to put up with the fact that there's new sounds coming out of my kids' stereo. You know, I realise if I'm going to let go for the sake of the next generation, some of what the music's going to look like isn't going to be to my liking. Some of the media pieces they create won't make sense. The sound may be different from the way I would mix it. But either I can choose to spend the rest of my life telling them how to fix it so that I still get to sit in my comfortable space or I can come along happily and joyfully embrace it, champion it and pray that my kids and grandkids might have the chance to discover a vital relationship in Jesus because a new generation of leaders find new and relevant ways to share with the next generation 
the timeless messenger who he is. Some of us desperately pray for revival, for God to move. And part of what that might mean is that some of us have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable in some of the new methods that people employ that are short of sin, but to bring people to faith. And I don't know why I'm getting emotional about this. We can't expect to do the same thing and get different results. It's a new day. There's going to be some new ways. But the good news is it's still the same God. And so what's my point? If you're old in the faith or you're just old in years here, so I put myself in that category as old in the faith, I'm invited to be part of a church that some days you're not going to love the method, you're going to love the message, but you're going to sit here and you're going to cheer on the next generation as they find new ways to engage new generations with the timeless message of Jesus. And you're going to become their biggest support base and their biggest fan base and their loudest cheer squad. And you're not going to complain to them when they do something or they make a mistake, but you're going to be on the sidelines recognising that you're old, old enough and mature enough in your own faith that you could survive without any of it because you're all right. You've already matured to the point where you're a self-feeder, but you're going to champion the next generation to actually bring hordes of their friends and their colleagues and this generation to faith because God is doing a new thing. And the new thing can't go in old packaging or the whole thing's going to blow up. God's new thing needs to find some new packaging so it has a chance to ferment and create new life. We can't expect the same things to do the same things and get different results. So to the young generation, Jimmy got mad at me because last time I did this, he was on the borderline and he, he got left out. But if you're 25 and under, Jimmy, you're right on the line. Actually, you decide if you're young or not. But to the young generation and to the leaders of the young generation, get innovative. Get creative. Find new ways to tell your friends about Jesus. Some of you, and here's the scary bit, some of you are going to have to put the time aside to become great theologians because the essence of the message doesn't change but we need great young theologians that put great packages around the message of Jesus so new generations of people can put their faith in him. So understand the truth and the essence of the gospel and then find ways to help more people encounter its power. Yeah, the band to come join me. Jesus says this, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. If you do, everything gets wrecked and it all blows up. He says, put new wine in new wineskins. In 2020, let, us, uh, let me ask all of us this question. Are you open to the new thing that God wants to do in you and through you or in our church and through our church? And are you allowing God to show you some new ways that he's going to do it? This is a message for us individually. As we say to God, God, I want to see you move in new ways in my life. And I'm going to be open to you showing me some new ways that you're going to do it. The essence will never get lost, but the packaging might. I want to ask if you're open to God doing whatever it takes to see people come to a life-saving faith in Him. We're going to finish a little bit differently this morning. Here's what we're going to do. Or a picture of the church that I've just preached to you about. If you were here and you were young, and I'm going to let you define that. But if you're under 25, that's probably a good start. So if you're here and you're young, or if you're here and you're a leader of young people, 
I reckon it'd be great for us to pray for you today. Now, I could ask you to all stand where you are, but I'm not going to do that because I actually want you to do something that's a little bit more uh, risky than that and that takes a little bit more courage because in doing this, I want you to say, yeah, pray that prayer for me because I'm on board with this, right? If I just got you to stand, you'd all kind of look and see if your friends were standing, then you'd all stand. I don't want to make it that easy for you. I want to make you a little bit uncomfortable because some of the things that Jesus is going to ask you to do are going to be a whole lot more uncomfortable than standing up in church, right? He's going to put you in some places where some of you are going to have your faith ridiculed. You're going to have your faith questioned. People are going to laugh at you. People are going to challenge you. But I believe God's going to use you to actually reach your generation for the sake of the gospel. Churches are going to grow. Churches are going to become healthy. There's going to be new sounds coming off our stages, new ways that people are going to be engaged with the age-old story and message of Jesus, an essence that never changes. But you guys are going to design some new packaging that helps people engage with it. And so for those of you that are young this morning, I want us to pray for you and I want us to pray innovation over you. I want us to pray creativity over you. I want to pray that God would take the new things that He's doing and help you design the new wineskins that He's going to put them in. We want to pray that you would get a hold deep in your spirit of the timeless message of Jesus and that the Creator God the ultimate creative, innovative, contextual one would actually do a work in you that actually helps you be the generation that sees loads of people come to faith in Jesus because you got creative. And so we're going to pray for you this morning, but I'm going to ask you to do something really scary. And that is you're going to have to stand up where you are and you have to walk to the front of our church meeting here this morning. You're going to have to stand here as your way of saying, I want to be one of those people. I want to be that person in my generation. I don't care how young you are, there's a prayer for you. If you just think you're young, you're really welcome, okay? So if you're a young person or if you're a leader of young people, why don't right now, if you'd like us just to pray for you this morning, we're going to gather around you, we're going to, uh, you know, pray over you, lay hands on you and just pray God's Spirit to fill you. Why don't you get up from where you are right now, come down the front of the church. We might have to kick a few rows out here. I think my job is done. It's been great to be your pastor, but I hand the baton. I'm out. No. Okay, if you're still in the pews and you're a person of faith, you've got a job to do, right? There's just as many up the front as there's still sitting down. That's good news for our church, isn't it? Here's the thing I want to say though, the rest of us, I'm not talking to you guys for a minute, we've got a job to do in helping these guys navigate what God's got for them wisely and helping encourage them when it gets really tough and not jumping on them when they make some mistakes, but actually just mentoring, coaching, encouraging, praying for, uplifting. Maybe today the God thing God's going to place in our hearts is someone's face or someone's name that you're just going to commit to pray for every day of your life from this point forward. If God puts their name in your heart, go say to them, you know, God just put me on your heart today and I'm going to put you on my prayer list and I'm going to commit to pray your name to the God of all creation every day of your life, every day of my life, so that you may be productive in the things that God has called you to do. Right, there's more of you than I expected. That's good. Can we just kick a few rows of chairs back? Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask anyone else out here that wants to, why don't you come and stand around these guys? I'm not going to tell you what to pray. 
Ask them if they're comfortable with you to lay a hand on their shoulder. Just ask that permission. If you're not comfortable with that, young guys, you can just say no and we'll just surround you. But we just love to lay a hand on your shoulder. And we just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you this morning. We want to commission you for the task which God has got for you. This church that you're standing today is the church that you guys will lead and shape for generations to come. And many more people will know that Jesus is good and Jesus is Lord because of the courage of this generation. Come on, church, the band's going to start playing. If you're a person of faith, why don't you start praying some prayers of blessing over these young people, that God would do something incredible in their life and that we would see an outpouring of revival in this community through these young ones. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know. 